Amen, amen. Psalms chapter 23 and verse number 1. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Not only are you with me, Lord, but you're active on my behalf. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Boy, we could preach there just for a little while, but that's not our point today. We're going to have to move on. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to bring your attention back to verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now that's a pretty encapsulating verse there. Um, it pretty much sums it all up. I love I love the message, um, Psalms chapter 23, verse 1. It's not a translation. I don't, I don't use the message when I'm studying doctrine or deep um, uh, scriptural principles, but it's just a common, um, it's a common age take. Um, it's um, uh, just in common vernacular. And so sometimes I'll use it to kind of just get a perspective from, um, from how we speak today. And I love what it says about Psalms chapter 23 and verse number 1. Let's read the King James Version one more time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can't get much better than that, right? The Lord is my shepherd, he's in control of my life, I shall not want. Now listen to the message. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. It just changes it a little bit, don't it? God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. In other words, if I've got him, I'm not missing anything. If I've got the Lord, then I have, I have enough. Amen. My prayer today is before we leave that you'll be able to say the same thing. God, my shepherd. I don't need a thing. I, I feel the same as the psalmist today, but I ask you this morning, is God enough? Have you found that God is enough? The Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus spoke to, and he said, Dear, if you drink of this water that I have to give, if you will drink of that water, you will never thirst again. Other water could not quench your thirst like the water that I'm going to give you can quench. You've drank from the fountain of all of life's pleasure. But I'm telling you, if you'll drink of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Everything else left you still thirsty. But my water is enough. If I could bring her up here today, she would emphatically tell you I found out that God is enough. So the real question that has to be asked today is, do you know? If he is. Or have you found out that God is enough? At one moment 
at a critical moment, the Lord turned and asked the crowd a rather poignant question. He said, who do men say that I am? But that really wasn't the question that he was asking because they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say uh, uh, Jeremiah. And the Lord stopped and said, no, 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 no. You kind of, I know that's what it looks like what I was asking, but what I was really wanting to know, he said, you're missing the point. He said, who do you say that I am? In other words, I'm not worried about what your friends think about me, but what do you think about me? I know your mother has told you that God is enough, but have you found out that He is enough? I'm not interested in what the crowd has to say but about me, but what do you say about me? What your friends and family think about me, I don't really care to hear right now. But what do you think about me? Am I enough? Why would he ask such a poignant question to the disciples? Because he realized, I'm not always going to be with you. And if you don't discover life's greatest truth, that I'm enough, when the going gets tough and when the barbed edges of life begin to press in on you, you're going to falter. But if I can do one thing before I'm called out of here, if I can get you to make up in your mind that no matter what comes your way, that I'll be enough, then you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Going off of what somebody has to say about me won't always be enough. My prayer is before we turn the lights off and shut the doors today, that you'll leave this place with the undeniable knowledge and truth that no matter what you're facing at this moment, God is enough. God is enough. Can we lift our hands and ask Him to have His way in the remainder of this service? Come on, the Lord wants to do a special work here today. Come on, earnestly ask Him to move in this place. Lord, we need hope, hope restored today, Lord. We need a thought process healed today, Lord. Oh, we come going to preach against despair and despondency today, Lord. Come on, somebody call on his name just for a moment. Lord, we're a needy people today. We need you to move and to touch and to strengthen and uplift today, Lord. Oh, you're our enough. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Is God enough? Is God enough? Placed in the crazy maze of skyscrapers and condominiums in the seemingly never-ending buildings that make up the skyline of the fourth largest city in America. You can find the affluent graveyard of Glenwood Cemetery to walk through the grounds of Glenwood's sprawling lawns is to see a literally the who's who among Houston's history and to see the monuments of the people who have turned this backwater town on a muddy bayou into a thriving metropolitan that they call Space City, USA. In a place, a special place, you will find the final resting place of America's first billionaire, the eccentric Howard Hughes. He was born in Houston and at a young age was not intimidated at all to tell those around him what his goals in life were. He wanted to be the world's greatest golfer, wanted to be the world's best pilot, 
He also wanted to be the world's best movie producer. He was a searcher. Even though he uh, became a decent golfer, he never got close to holding the title of being the world's greatest golfer until he became sidetracked and put his attention towards something else. And uh, even though he was highly thought of in the uh, space and aero engineering and uh, the designing of airplanes, pushing the envelope, never quite reached the acclaim of being the world's best pilot. And uh, he dated Hollywood starlets and became involved in, 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 in the making of movies, but he never quite achieved the title of being the world's best movie producer. Howard Hughes was a searcher. He was plagued by that inward longing that is in the sight of every man that longs to be satisfied, but cannot be satisfied by the things of this world. He was undone by the disease called never enough. Never enough is the wild goose chase that wrecks the lives of good men and good women. Never enough, it is the disease of the soul that pilfers the emotions of man and ultimately bankrupts the soul in its pursuit of the temporal at the expense of the eternal. And if his life being judged a success was predicated on reaching these three goals, then he would have died a failure. And unfortunately, he became a coding addict. And in his later years, he became a paranoid and obsessive. He would isolate himself and would often be found in a crazed state. He just never had enough. He was, a, he was a searcher. He was longing. His appetite was never quenched. And at midnight, one fateful evening, broken in health, a jet flew Mr. Hughes to the famed medical center in Houston, Texas. But he passed during the flight. And what greeted the funeral director at Glenwood Cemetery left him speechless. Before him was not the figure of a well-put-together, sophisticated man who seemingly had it all. But what, when they did a closer examination, uh, there were a dozen needles that had been broken off uh, in his body. He was a filthy, frail, broken man uh, that had, had a wispy beard that nearly reached his waist. Uh, his hair was dangling, knotted, and twisted uh, to the center of his back. Uh, his fingernails were nearly two inches long and his toenails uh, were said to resemble corkscrews. Uh, he died a lonely man. He died an empty man. He died searching, uh, never having found that missing piece uh, um, that, that, that God put inside the heart uh, of every, every, every human. Uh, he died thirsty, uh, even though he drank of the finest wines from the world's finest vineyards. Uh, he drank from the fountain of life's pleasures uh, like no one before him but those were never enough to quench his life's thirst and longing. He died a hungry man. He ate of the rarest of delicacies made by the hands of the finest chefs in the world. He had partaken of the fruit of his labor but his hunger never did subside. He died a hungry man. Can I tell you this morning what Mr. Hughes discovered is what everyone discovers in the twilight of life without 
God when they stand on the precipice of eternity what you discover without God is that golf courses are never enough that power and fame are not enough that a billion dollars can never be enough for none of those things as hard as we may try can ever take the place of having God in your life in spite, in spite of our affluence today, insecurity and unhappiness are widespread. Why? Because a life without God never has enough. In the heart of everyone, there is a hunger and a longing for something that you cannot find in this world. Brother Griffiths, that seems like a cruel trick for the creator to make a creation and put a void in there that nothing this world can feel. It's not cruel, my friend. There's a God-shaped void inside of the heart of every man and every woman. The thing of this world are not meant to fit in there. It's like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. But when you get my Jesus, that void is forever filled. A life without God never has enough. Never has enough. In the heart of everyone, there is a hunger. There is a longing for something you cannot find in this world. It is... The soul of humanity that longs for, it weeps for fellowship with a higher power. It yearns for an intimate, loving relationship with God. It's been said that apart from God, man just merely exists, but does not, he cannot live. You see, apart from God and his word, man can only guess and theorize. We grope and we stumble along in our blindness and our own finite and limited understanding. Augustine so eloquently said it like this, we were made for God and we will never be satisfied until we we have God in our hearts. Only He can be enough. If I say it once, I want to say it a hundred times this morning. Only God can be enough. The needle can never be enough. The bottle can never be enough. Illicit relationships can never be enough. Promotions and raises can never be enough. Hobbies and pleasures can never be enough. God's word forewarns man. When he says, what shall it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? In other words, is there anything in this world that you can accumulate that has an equal or adequate value for the price of your soul? The word of God goes on and says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You can get fair trade for a lot of things. You can get your car appraised. You can get your house appraised. You can, you can trade and barter with somebody. They have something that you want. And, and, and you have something they want. And you look at what they have. And they say, I had it appraised. It's worth $1,500. Well, I had this appraised. It's worth $2,000. So why don't you give me $15 plus $500? You know, the standards have been set. We know what a fair trade is. But what the 
scripture is asking, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything this world can give you where you can get equal value back? I say nay. There is nothing in this world that is eternal. There is nothing in this world that matters in eternity. But your soul, it is not just today. It is not just tomorrow. It is forever. There's nothing this world can give you that has the same value of your soul. You can can trade it for diamonds. You can trade it for power. You can trade it for fame. But in the last days, when we all stand before God, you're going to be sorely disappointed because anything this world can produce is going to pale dim in comparison to eternity. Is there fair trade for your soul? No, no. There was a board game that marked the 80s and the 90s. I played it a little myself. It played on man's obsession with the insignificant. It was called Trivial Pursuit. Trivial Pursuit. Man, if there was ever a game that summed up the spirit of the 80s and 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s, it would be Trivial Pursuit. Because never more has there been mankind been about um, uh, just, uh, um, just having their lives inundated with things that don't really matter. Never has there been an age quite like our age where our lives are so dominated by things that we think we cannot live without, that we can live without. We have more modern conveniences today than we ever have, but we complain of having less time than we've ever had before. Why? Because our life is being undone by trivial pursuit. And yet still today, people are caught up and distracted by the things that don't carry any weight in eternity's picture. Hobbies and pleasures and money and power. None of those things answer the questions of life's ultimate concern. In other words, how do I make it from here to eternity? How am I going to walk on streets of gold? Brother Griffiths, why do you make some of the decisions that you make? Why do you don't do this? Why did you give this up? Because what I'm gaining in eternity far outweighs and outshines anything that I can get here. And the writer said, lay aside every weight. He didn't say sin. Lay aside every weight. I don't, any, I don't want anything in this world taking my gaze off of my heavenly home. I've got to stay focused on the prize. I've got to stay focused on the prize. People are caught up and distracted by things that don't carry any weight. Oh, the tragedy of a trivialized life. A life that has been undone by things that simply just do not matter. I I read a a quote several years ago and it kind of helped me uh, how I deal with with material things uh, like easy come, easy go. And it said that we should never cry over something that cannot cry for us in return. That'll kind of put proper perspective on it. We spend most of our days uh, working and killing ourselves to get something only to lose it in just a, sh- uh, just a few short, fleeting moments. I don't want to be undone by a trivialized life. There's no doubt about it. There's a longing. There's a thirst. There's a hunger in the makeup of humanity. Nobody escapes this. It's no accident. We're simply made with passions. We're made to long for more, to want more. 
Dr. Griffith says, why is it there? God put it there. God put it there so we wouldn't be satisfied with this world and that he would be the only one that could quench our thirst. You see, the passionate pursuit will always be with man. The pursuit is not bad in itself, but it's what we allow ourselves to pursue that will ultimately define our lives. I can't speak for anyone else here this morning, but this, is, this sums up my pursuits. You can take this whole wide world, but I've got to have Jesus. You can take this whole world, but leave me with Jesus. I want him to be my magnificent obsession. This longing was found in our parents, Adam and Eve. What took them to that forbidden tree to partake of its forbidden fruit? What caused them to overstep the boundaries that God had placed upon and in their lives? It was a longing. It was an insatiable desire for more than they had. And the devil convinced them that they didn't have enough. That they didn't have enough. You see, that's what the Satan does. He tries to, make, he tries to change the character of God. He tries to get you to see God as a taker and not a giver. Instead of focusing all the good things of all the other trees and all the other pleasantries and all the other blessings in their life, the devil began to get them to focus on the one thing that God said, I, you cannot have. You can't have this one tree. So instead of seeing the blessings of God in every area of their life, they focused on the one thing that they did not have. You see, he's not a giver. He's a taker. He's trying to keep from you he's trying to withhold from you and it's the idea that God is not a blesser but God is a taker that keeps people from giving all of their soul and all of their mind and heart unto the Lord it was that insatiable desire for more that they had that, that, that the devil played on to get them to reach for the one thing that God said you don't need it you don't need it in your life you have everything that you need I am enough walking with me in the cool of the day has to be enough and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own that's gonna be enough Adam and Eve I've gotta be enough but the enemy tricked him into believing that God could never be enough we'd like to point an accusing finger at Adam and Eve but what caused the Hebrews to turn from the food literally fallen from heaven the quail and the man from the sky what caused them to turn away from the food from heaven and to long for the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics of Egypt and the fine wine it was a longing that was unchecked it was a longing without restraint it was a longing that blinded them to every good thing in their life it was a longing that blinded them they couldn't see that God brought us out of Egypt he is the deliverer he is a promise keeper but that never enough it caused them to look beyond what God could do looking for something else one man said it best it seems that man we're just we're just born dissatisfied we come out of the womb we reach we grasp we strive but yet we are never satisfied there has never been an age like this present one with so many full hands and yet so many empty hearts hear me this morning when god ceases to be your magnificent obsession you can't help to be undone by things that are trivial in nature 
but he ceases to be your magnificent obsession. You will obsess, obsess over things that don't matter. It's this insatiable longing that sent Ahab mad over Naboth's vineyard. He had a king's portion. He had uh, more vineyards than anybody else. Uh, he had the finest land, but it was he was convinced uh, it was not enough. Uh, he saw Naboth, this vineyard that was given to him generation by generation, uh, and uh, he, he, he wasn't satisfied with what he had. Ahab wasn't. Uh, and he said, oh, I, I want that no Ahab. Be happy with what you got. Be happy with all that your hand has. But he couldn't. He got focused uh, on the forbidden fruit. He got focused on the one thing that was being held from him. And he had people in his life that didn't have the same motives and the priorities. You need to be careful who you have talking in your ear. You better make sure that their desire is to make heaven their home too. Because he had a woman in his ear that said, why don't you go take it? It belongs to you. Who is Ahab to keep it from you? You're the king. You do what you want to do. And it corrupted his morals. He sacrificed his character to get his hands on something. Something that God never meant for him to have. And it would be his undoing. He was convinced that what I have is not enough. And he became undone. He lost everything at the hand of never enough. Never enough. It's a life without God. Never enough. Oh, God, it causes good men to do things they never thought they would do. Never enough. It causes good women to get caught up in things they thought they would never get involved in. Never enough. Not being satisfied with what God has given you causes good people to do unspeakable things. Causes good people to do bad things that they never thought they would do. It causes marriages to crumble. Never enough causes honest men to become embezzlers. Never enough causes young people to squander their potential and dabble and play with things in the world. Can I preach to you this morning that until you let God be the center of your life, that your thirst will never, never, never be quenched. Young people hear me today. Your whole life is ahead of you. Your potential is unlimited. Your star can shine as bright as, as, as you'll let it shine. But don't become undone in your teenage years looking for life and love in all of the wrong places. Nothing is worth your future. Nothing is worth your potential. Make God the center of your life right now. Don't squander your potential by going after the forbidden fruit. Don't become undone by never, never, never enough. Without the parameters of a passionate relationship with God, your passions will roam. Unless they're centered around God, your passions are going to roam. They will continually seek out other things that have no hope to satisfy. Relentlessly, you will push on from each earthly fix only to be left more unfulfilled than what you were before. But can I tell you, once you find God and once you make Him the center, I'll tell you, if you'd put that same effort in living for God as you do other temporary things, you wouldn't have any issues living for God. 
You got a you got a toe living for God, but you got the rest of your body into something else. If you would live for God as hard as you're living for other things, you could be the greatest soul winner this city's ever seen. You could be a mighty man or woman or God. And that longing and that thirst and going to the, all the wrong places would be over. It would be over. The book of Proverbs says, there are four things which are never satisfied. They say not, it is enough. You'll never hear one of these four things that say, that's enough. I've had enough. The Bible says, the grave never says enough. The ground never stops saying, send me someone else. Death. It just keeps, it's perpetual. The grave never says, I'm satisfied. The barren womb, it'll never be satisfied. It says, no, I will not be satisfied. I will not learn to live with it. I will keep hope. I will keep longing in my life. I will keep praying. I, I, I'm never just going to accept it. The barren womb, it keeps reaching. reaching. The Bible says the dry earth in need of rain. That dry earth that's, that's parched, that's gone weeks and months. When the water begins to fall, it'll never say, okay, okay, turn the fountain off. It just has an unending thirst. And then it says, fire. The fire never says enough. As long as there's fuel, it keeps burning. It'll never just decide, well, I think I've burned enough. I'll just stop right here. No, no, no. These four things never are satisfied. If you would allow me this morning, I'd like to add a fifth to that list of things that are never satisfied. You ready? It's the appetite of a man or a woman that doesn't have God in their life. If you don't have God, you'll never have enough. If you don't have God, you'll never be satisfied. You you will spend the rest of your life in the relentless pursuit of things that have no hope of satisfying your soul. We came into this life clutching and grabbing and accumulating. None of us are strangers to that inward emptiness that shouts, I have not, I must have, I need more. Oh, you can see it playfully in a two-year-old. They won't accept one cookie and say, I'm done. But rather they'll say, must have more, <laughs> more cookies, must have more cookies. Like your pastor at Krispy Kreme, must have another dozen. <laughs> a toddler, a toddler, you can't just toss them in the air one time and say, that's just a one-time trick. Oh, no, no, no. They'll say, more, 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 not enough, must have more. Such cries the heart of a man or woman who has not found God. More, I must have more. Every fleshly relationship, what they're saying is, I'm looking, I got to have more. Every bar, I got to have more. Every hobby, every pleasure, I'm looking, I got to have more. I don't have enough. Can I tell you, if you'll stop with God, he will be enough. I'm afraid that our mad scramble for things has become the bandit that loots from us our peace and our time and the relationships that matter the most. Our mad scramble for things is stealing the most important things from our life. One hand at a time. Henry Van Dyke wrote, What you possess in this world will instantaneously be turned over to someone else at the time of your death. But what you are, your relationship with God, it'll be yours forever. 
In other words, your relationship with God is the one thing that this world cannot give and cannot take away. It's the one thing that you're going to take through eternity. Society, never enough. Society has a cool word for it. Living large. I've been doing that for years. I don't know. Yeah. Living large. You know what living large means? It means dying in debt. You'll get that on the way home. Living large just means I'm buried in debt. Keeping up with the Joneses means we're racing to see who's going to file chapter 7 the quickest. You must have the five. We got a little quiet right here, didn't it? I may have to stop here just for, I'm moving on. Got to have the finest houses. Got to have the finest automobiles, the finest attire. Yet it seems that the thirsty soul enjoys each acquisition less and less. Why is that? Because it's tragic and vain to clutch to the temporal while ignoring the eternal. Money will buy a bed, but not sleep. Money will buy a book, but not brains. Money will buy food, but not an appetite. A money can buy a house, but cannot make it a home. Money can buy medicine, but not health. Money can buy amusement, but not happiness. Money can buy religion, but not salvation. And money can, pass, can give you a passport to everywhere but heaven. Every pastor, Brother Perry, I know you've heard this. Every pastor has heard the words, has heard the confession of a sinner saved by grace. And the words of repentance spoken by the prodigal after they come back home and the Lord's delivered them from perversion and drugs and alcohol and illicit relationships and a longing for more of this. As they come back, they get settled, they square their shoulders, they get restored. God becomes the constant, no longer a variable. They're now. You know, they're not making God revolve around what they want, but God's the constant, and now everything else revolves around God. I've heard it. I've heard it many times. They'll say, Pastor, you want to know why I went further and further? I knew better. I was raised better. I, I knew. I knew better. You want to know why I went further and further? I was looking for something. There was something was missing. In I was searching. I was searching for something. Can I tell you that they were never really looking for something, but they were looking for someone. Your search is not for something. Your search is about finding someone. Peter, will you leave me now also? Peter said, tell me where could I go? I've tried everything else, but nothing can take your place. The psalmist said it. He found out it was true. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. And after having everything stripped away, Job would walk to this platform and tell you today, the joy and the wholeness in life is not found in the what, but it's found in the who. Job would tell you, I'm here today, not because of what God did for me, but simply because of who he is. I lost all the what. 
I lost my health. I lost my family. I lost my cattle. I lost my wealth. But I never lost him. What do you do when you've lost the what? You keep hanging on because the who is enough. God is enough. He's always been. He's always been enough. Job would tell you, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Let me do it in layman's term. I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going to leave with nothing. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I've got good news for the hungry, desperate soul today. That someone is here. Your search can be over. God is the satisfier of our longing. Not things, God. Not possessions, God. Not accolades, not achievements, but God. Augustine cried, he said, you've made our hearts for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God is sufficient. He's always enough. He's always enough. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher, which Ecclesiastes means, the preacher. And King Solomon said, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted great vineyards, gardens, and orchards. I hired singers, and whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept it not from me. But I found out it's all vanity, nothing but smoke. It's here one moment and then gone the next. You know what Solomon is saying? I tried the fun-filled life. It was nothing but insanity. I tried accomplishments, but it was nothing but insecurity. I tried possessions, but found that it was nothing but inadequacy. Why Solomon said, outside of God, I found there is nothing. It is all vanity. What Solomon and Job is trying to tell the church today, if I have everything but God, I have nothing. If I have nothing but God, then I have everything. He is enough. My God is enough. The pastor's wife wrote a journal about her friend losing her husband to leukemia. And after the husband passed, God did not see fit to heal him. Could he still be enough? After he passed, his wife told this pastor's wife, sometimes in my alone time, I wonder, is God enough? Is he, is he enough? My intellect is certain enough, but sometimes it doesn't, doesn't feel as though he's enough. She told her friend that the fault is that we rely on what we feel over what we know. Our minds are like concrete, but our hearts are like marshmallows. With pockets of uncertainty proliferating through our inward person. We know our mind tells us God's enough, but the hurt is convincing us that I don't know if he's enough. I've come to remind someone today, my friend, God is enough. 
When you've been stripped of everything but God, you will arrive at life's ultimate conclusion. We still have enough. When you have nothing but God, you will realize that God is enough. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. Is he enough? He hears Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus. He's sick unto death. The Lord has plans. He doesn't want them to just see him as a healer, but he wants them to see him as a life's resurrector. So he pauses. He lets the situation go from bad to worse. And now Lazarus is not just sick, but he passes. He's not worried. He's just wanting to reveal himself in a different way than he's done before. But Mary and Martha, they're frantic. They feel like that he's not enough. He comes to the city. Martha catches him at the gate of the city. And God, God, if you would have, you know, if, 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 if you would have been here, I don't, I don't understand. If, if, if only you would have got here a little bit, if you would have got here a little quicker. And the Lord begins to talk to her and he begins to, to tell her that, that uh, um, uh, he begins to reveal somewhat of his plan to her. So Martha shows up and she begins to interrogate God and, and says, if, if you would have been here, then Lazarus wouldn't have died. She, her, her, her mind is telling her that, that he's enough. She's seen him do great things. But her heart, the situation, the pain, the barbed edge of life is telling her, I don't think he's enough. She knew that God was enough in the past. And then when he gets a little closer to the house, Mary runs out of the house. She begins to interrogate him. And he says, look, Mary, you know, I'm able. I'm the resurrection and the life. And she said, I know. I know that he's going to live in the last day. I'm my mind. I know that you're going to be enough. Martha said, I knew you were enough back there. And I know that you are going to be enough. But our hearts are saying, are you enough right now? Because Lazarus is dead. We're broken. We don't understand. The Lord said, take me to where he's at. I'm going to convince you that I just wasn't enough back then. And I'm just not going to be enough in the future. I'm enough in the present. I'm enough in the present. Lazarus, come forth. At that moment, they realized he's enough. No matter what I'm going through, no matter how dead the situation looks, my God is enough. He's enough. I'm going to open these altars just for a moment. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Can we stand all around this building? Minds are like concrete, but hearts are like marshmallows this morning. God wants to renew you. God wants to help heal your wounded, your broken spirit. You're faltering. You're hanging on, but you're hanging on barely. God sent this preacher this morning to remind you that he's, he's enough. During World War II, the Allied forces would 
go through the city after they took a city it was in shambles and rubble was everywhere they would look for survivors they had a problem because there were some children that had survived the bombing and the raids but yet the parents were gone maybe the parents were separated maybe they were prisoners of war maybe they were they didn't know so they would set up camps they would set up stations it'd just be children not knowing if their parents would ever come back not knowing what was happening they had a meager a meager blanket they tried to make them as comfortable as possible it was tough feeding all the children and it was impossible to take care of each one in a personal way but the workers had a problem because as the children hundreds of them began to come into the camp they were emotionally broken they were scarred everything had been taken from them no longer were they in their homes their parents the ones that loved them the most none of that was there the world had been turned upside down they seemingly did fine during the day but when night began to fall and after they ate their last little meager meal the sun went down and things got quiet they would hear the whimpering and the crying and the crying and the whimpering and the wailing got to such a level that the workers couldn't stand it anymore they people were wanting to do do other things they were wanting to go other places they they were willing to do anything they just couldn't work there they brought in a psychiatrist a, a psychologist to kind of Maybe help them. What can we do? Because every night just turned into a weeping and a crying and a wailing session. He went through one night. He watched them cry and hurt and toss very little sleep. And he came up with a plan. He brought the workers together and said, they've lost everything. They've never felt in their life that they weren't going to have enough until right now. This is what I want you to do. Instead of giving them that piece of bread with their evening meal, I want you to hang on to it. What? We're going to feed them their meal. We're going to withhold the bread. And then as night begins to fall, we're going to make them come back up in the line. And we're going to tell them to put that bread in their hand. But they're not to eat it tonight. It's for when the first thing in the morning, when the sun comes up, they can open their hand and realize they've had enough through the night. They've had enough. So each kid came up. They gave them a piece of bread. They held it in their hand. They were told, don't eat it. Don't eat it tonight. But you hold it in your hand. So in the morning the first thing you can do is eat that bread. The lights went out. The sun went down. There was a hush in the camp. No more weeping. No more wailing. No more uncontrolled crying. And they looked and said, that's amazing. He said, no, it's not. They just realized they'll have enough through the night. When they wake up in the morning, they'll have something. They have enough. They have enough. 
having enough changes everything. Knowing that you're going to have enough through the night. Knowing that when you make it through the night and when the sun rises, the dawn comes up and the night dissipates. Knowing that you've had enough through the night. It changes everything. Can I tell you, I don't know what dark night of the soul you might be going through right now. I don't know if it's a financial issue. I don't know if it's a broken heart, if it's a relational issue. I don't know if it's a personal demon, uh, an addiction issue. I'm not sure what it is. But I want you to know, you don't have to go through any more nights. Is there going to be enough? I can tell you right now that God, He's enough now. He'll be enough in the night. And He'll be enough in the morning. You will have enough. Because at Calvary, the God who was enough became enough for you and for me. I want to open these altars this morning. I want to open these altars. You need to come as close as you can. Is God enough? I invite you to come down and find out this morning. Is God enough? I'm telling you that God is enough. And if you'll let go of what's in your hand, He'll put something in your hand. It'll keep you through the night. My God is enough. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Would you let Him be enough?